0: If you have your Bible again, please open it up to Luke chapter 7. Have no fear, I will not be preaching the same sermon that I did at 9 o'clock. There is a lot of information, though, in the Gospel of Luke, particularly in Luke chapter 7. And so I want to go back there this morning. I want to study uh, a passage in Luke chapter 7 or a context in Luke chapter 7. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're reading in the Scriptures, maybe in your Bible reading or in your Bible class, have you ever gone uh, come across the scripture and just have said, what's that mean? Uh, what is he talking about here? I think I've been doing that a lot in the book of Romans in our Bible class. And even in the Bible reading, there are some interesting things that Jesus says uh, that can cause us sometimes to pause and try to make sure that we understand what he's saying. In Luke chapter 7 in our Bible reading, There's a passage in verse number 31 and 32 where Jesus compares the generation that he was in, that he was talking to, and he said this, he said, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. What is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about this generation, but what's the idea that he's trying to drive home? This morning, I want us to uh, spend a few minutes looking at Luke chapter 7, in particular, verses 24 through 35. In order for us to have a good understanding of what Jesus is saying here, I think we need to back up and consider some things that Jesus had said earlier. So by now, hopefully we're all comfortable with Luke chapter 7, right? We know about the widow's son being raised back to life. We know about John the Baptist, and we got a little bit hopefully better understanding about that question that he raised to Jesus. So this part of the uh, chapter is basically now a continuation. After Jesus spoke to the disciples of John and told them, you go back and tell John what I have done. You go back and tell him about my miracles. He's now going to respond and talk to the crowd. So read with me, please, in Luke chapter 7. And I want to begin in verse number 24. And what I want to do, we're just going to kind of walk our way through these verses here to get a better understanding of this idea of children in the marketplace and what application might this have even for us. In Luke chapter 7 and verse number 24, the Bible says, When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So what we see, number one, is that Jesus, he's now going to speak about the ministry of John. And what's interesting, when you read these verses, three times he's going to ask the same question. What did you go out to see? And so as he's talking about John the Baptist, he's going to raise this question and hopefully get the people to better understand who John the Baptist was and what he had done. So he said, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. And I think the point that Jesus is trying to make there is that as he speaks about John the Baptist, as he speaks about the ministry and the manner in which John the Baptist came, that John the Baptist wasn't like a reed that was fragile or something that would easily snap in the wind. This man had great conviction, particularly in his ministry. And verse number 25, I want you to notice what he says here. He's going to raise that question again. And he's going to make it clear that John was one who stood for the truth. He said in verse 25, but what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. Of course, John wasn't dressed like that. We know the type of manner in which John was dressed with camel's hair or camel's skin. And so Jesus here, while he's talking about this, I think he's driving out a bigger point here. I think he's trying to get across that John was not the kind of prophet who was willing to say anything to please those in authority. Those who were dressed in this royal apparel in verse number 25, a man dressed in soft clothing, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. That would have been their mindset, but this was not going to be the mindset of John. Remember that John was imprisoned because he told Herod that he had no right to be married at all. And so he's going to continue with this idea, what did you go out to see? Look at verse number 26. He said, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and the one who is more than a prophet. Indeed, John the Baptist was a prophet. He was a great prophet, and we've talked a lot about that. And certainly the people were listening to him. The people went out to hear John the Baptist. They listened to him, and many of them followed him. And yet Jesus is going to get across here in verse number 26. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And one who is more than a prophet. Look at verse 27. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So what Jesus is going to be talking about here, he wants it to be very clear that that John indeed was a prophet. But more than a prophet, he was a forerunner for the Messiah. And so what Jesus is doing, hes I think he's commending John the Baptist. He's speaking about how great John the Baptist really was. John the Baptist had a special privilege that none other could claim. He was the one that was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. One person has said this, that John stood on the threshold of the coming kingdom, and he was that last great prophet of the Old Testament covenant. And so Jesus, as he's talking about John the Baptist, he's asking them these questions. And then he says in verse number 28, I say to you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So as he continues on in verse 28, He's emphasizing there was none born greater than John. Some have gone back and forth. Is this talking about just in general, no one has been greater born than John? Or is he emphasizing maybe those who were born uh, to be prophets? Nonetheless, however you go about looking at it, Jesus is complimenting John the Baptist. This indeed was a great man. And indeed, he was doing the very will of God. And yet at the same time, he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What did he mean by this? Well, John was part of that old covenant order. And to say that the least in the kingdom, I think, is just emphasizing uh, is uh, the, the, the least in the kingdom is greater than John is just talking about the privilege of those who are going to be a part of the new covenant. And there's great application certainly for us there that while John was, was ushering in this new period of time being the forerunner for the Messiah, We who are a part of this new covenant in the kingdom of God, we have greater privileges than those in that old covenant. And we certainly know and have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so what Jesus is doing here in these verses, as we walk our way to verse number 31 and 32, he's just continuing this thought, this idea about John the Baptist, who he is, the great work that he's done. The, the the work, the will of God that He is accomplishing, and as He's speaking about John the Baptist to the audience, notice what He said in verse number twenty-nine, or notice what the Bible says: when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So, as Jesus is telling them about John and who He is and what He has done, we see here that there were those who are now going to be obedient. To the baptism of John, when all the people in the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. The idea that they obeyed or they did, they uh, understood what God was saying to be right, they acknowledged that God's way was right, and they were baptized with the baptism of John. And so we see this response here that has taken place, and certainly this is good news. And what's interesting in verse number twenty nine, the response. Notice that he talked about the people and the tax collectors. Remember back in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist had been speaking to tax collectors and the soldiers and others about this idea of repentance. And so we see here that these individuals, there was a response that was taking place. Now this is going to be important as we understand this idea of this generation being like children in the marketplace because we see a response here by those in verse number 29. And yet what we find here. And verse number 30 is that the Pharisees would reject God's purpose for them. The Bible says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So I think what Jesus is doing here, he's simply making this contrast. He's making this contrast of those who were obedient to doing the will of God and what God wanted them to do as opposed to those who would not be. And what's interesting when you consider this contrast that he's making, that the tax collectors of all people, the people that would have been viewed as the outcast and the lowest of the low, These individuals now have responded to God's will. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the ones who seemingly knew the word of God, they were not responding to what it was that God wanted them to do. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? So as Jesus is talking to this crowd and discussing all of these things, that's what he says next. What is this generation like? And I think we can start to see what Jesus is going to be driving at here. He said in verse number 31, uh, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. So what is he trying to drive at here? What's the point that he's trying to make to those who are listening to him at this time? I think the point that he's trying to make is that this generation that he was speaking to, this generation could not be satisfied. It was a generation where they couldn't be satisfied. And the point that he's going to use to drive this home are like children who sit in the marketplace. These children who sit in the marketplace and they call to one another, the marketplace during that time could have been described as a center of life. And certainly you would have seen children running around playing in the marketplace. It may have even doubled as a playground. And so just imagine this scenario that you have here that Jesus is saying, They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. And so these children are saying, hey, you want to come over and play a game and and interact and have some fun? And they say, well, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. And so maybe the idea that these kids wanted to maybe have a mock wedding or something like that, do something joyful, do something fun, and some of the other kids are like, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be involved in that. And so they said, okay, what about this? Uh, We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. Let's do something a little bit more solemn in nature. Maybe you can take part in that as well. And these kids, no matter what is being presented to them, their mindset is, no, we're not, we don't want to be a part of that. We're not interested in that. And so when you understand what he's trying to get across here, these children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, we played the flute for you and did not dance, we sang a dirge and you did not weep. These children here are children who are not satisfied. It doesn't matter what you try to do to keep them entertained or even what people try to do to invite them to be a part of something here. They really don't want to have any part of it. And so I think that's the example that he's trying to get across here. But the main point that he's trying to get across is not about children, but it's about that generation. It's not about the children, but it's about the generation. It's about those individuals in particular. I think he's going to be emphasizing in verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers, how they had rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized with John's baptism or by John's baptism, that they essentially were like these children in the marketplace, that nothing, no matter what was offered to them, could ever truly satisfy them. And here's why I believe that's the case, because in verse number 33, notice what Jesus says next. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. So now Jesus talks about the manner in which uh, John the Baptist came. And essentially, they were not satisfied in the manner that John the Baptist came. John the Baptist came preaching a, a powerful message. He came in, in camel skins and ate locusts and wild honey. His message was strict. His message was stern. It was piercing. He would often speak to these large crowds and, and really drive at home this idea of repentance. We talked about this earlier this morning in Luke chapter 3. That, that was his message where he's, he's talking to the crowd. He's straightforward. There's nothing that people could misunderstand. He's calling them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He's telling them to bear fruit, worthy of repentance. John came in this manner, and yet the people rejected him. Not only did did they reject him, but look how they described him. They described him in Luke chapter 7. You go back and look at verse number 33. They're saying things that are not true about him. He has a demon? Why would they ever say that about John? I think it's just pointing to the mindset that so many people had. They rejected the ministry of John. They rejected the manner in which he came. And now they're calling him things that are simply not true. They're saying that he has a demon. And so in a sense, they're like these children in the marketplace. Okay, John came in this way, this manner, and you guys rejected him. You wanted nothing to do with what he had to say. So watch what he says next. Look at Luke chapter 7 and notice in verse number 34. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, And sinners. So I think he's just making this contrast here that the generation was like these children in the marketplace. Nothing would ever be enough for them, nothing would be enough to satisfy them. John came in this manner, and now Jesus came eating and drinking. And the point that I think he's trying to make here. You compare the two ministries of John the Baptist and and Jesus. John would often talk to the crowds, and certainly did Jesus. He did the same thing. Yet Jesus often ate with the crowds. Go back and look at Luke chapter five. Remember in our Bible reading and verse number. 27 and Luke chapter 5, we see how Jesus interacted with the tax collectors, and these are the very ones that the people like the Pharisees and the lawyers are going to be looking down upon. Look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. The Bible says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. It may not seem to fully, we may not fully understand the significance of the tax collectors and how they were viewed, but I do think there is something back in Luke chapter 3. Let me just hit the pause button here. In Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist was talking to the tax collectors and verse number 12, notice what he said. It said in verse 12 of Luke 3, some tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. So if he's having to correct how they were conducting business, then that helps us to see the type of mindset and the type of actions that some of these tax collectors were involved in. And so they were not held in a positive light. And so in Luke chapter 5, in verse number uh, 29, Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Watch this, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so when you understand the way that Jesus interacted with individuals during his ministry, you see here that. There seemingly is a little bit of a difference in the manner that John came and now in the manner in which Jesus came and how he's interacting with those who were viewed as the worst of the worst, these tax collectors and sinners. And so when you go back to Luke chapter 7 and look at verse number 34, he said, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, OK, look, this is the manner in which I came. I interacted with these individuals. And Luke 15 is another example of this. Look over in Luke chapter 15 and notice in verse number 1 and 2. We'll get there in a a short while later on this year in our Bible reading. In Luke 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus, he's interacting with those that are viewed as as the worst of the worst. And so I think the, uh, the point that he's trying to make, this contrast that he's trying to make, is that, listen, this is how John came, and you called and said that he had a demon. You rejected his words, and now I have come in this manner, and yet you still are not satisfied. He spent time with individuals. He was compassionate towards individuals. There was this personal interaction, and yet the manner in which Jesus came, it should have propelled everyone to follow him, and yet they're still not satisfied with that. And to make matters worse, when you go back to Luke chapter 7, look at how they describe Jesus. Behold, in verse 34, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, which is false, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So now they're... They're, they're basically saying that he is living, Jesus is living some immoral life, that he's engaged in some immoral behavior. And that's not the point at all with what Jesus was doing. And so when you look at these two contrasts, these two examples here of John the Baptist in verse number 33, and how he came, came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And then in verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's in that sense that they were like children in the marketplace. They weren't weren't content. They weren't satisfied with the teaching or the message of John the Baptist. They weren't satisfied with the teaching or the message of Jesus Christ. And we see how both of them were attacked in the manner in which they came. And so, Jesus, this is what he's talking about, I believe, when he says that this generation is like children in the marketplace, like these kids who are never satisfied. This generation are just like these children here who are never satisfied, never content. And so, when you get down to verse number 35, Jesus is going to wrap up this discussion here in verse number 35 by saying, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So what does all of this mean, and what is is the point that he's trying to get across? And again, what is it that we can take away from that? Well, number one, Jesus, he likened the generation to this this, like children in a marketplace. And many of the Jewish people at that time, maybe you could say even acted like spoiled little brats. They weren't satisfied with John the Baptist and the ministry in which he came. They weren't satisfied with Jesus and the way and manner in that he came. In fact, they attacked both of them calling them a demon and a drunkard, which couldn't be further from the truth. Nothing appealed to them. And so when you think about the significance of that, that's powerful. They rejected the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. They They rejected the greatest prophet, John the Baptist, and now they are rejecting the Son of Man. Jesus came to bring joy and redemption, and yet they still were not satisfied, and they missed the salvation that he came to offer. And what makes matters worse is that when you really think about these individuals, these individuals who rejected God's purpose for them, these individuals that rejected Jesus, they thought everything was okay. They thought they were they thought that they were okay with God. In John chapter seven, look over here in John chapter seven, and I want you to notice in verse number forty here. In John chapter seven, I want you to notice in verse number forty, John chapter seven and verse number forty, the Bible says. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, certainly, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Verse number 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests, verse 45, and Pharisees, and they said to him, why did you not bring him? The officer said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, have you not also been led astray, have you? You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? And I'm reading this to you because I just want you to see this was the mindset of That these individuals had. The Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected God's purpose. They would reject John and his ministry, and they would also reject Jesus and his ministry. And yet they said, listen, none of us have believed in him. Uh, We understand who he truly is. We're not following this man. And so they ridiculed those who were seeking to follow Jesus Christ. And so when you understand that mindset, I think this is what he's trying to drive home, that this generation is like those children in the marketplace. They're never satisfied, never content. They rejected both John the Baptist and they rejected Jesus. And so he sums it up in verse 35 by saying, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In the Old Testament, wisdom is often personified as a woman, as an agent who calls people to live according to God. And therefore, that wisdom's children are those who are going to listen to her, who are going to follow her guidance. And so I think he's making even a contrast here. You have so many of of this generation who are like the children in the marketplace. And yet wisdom is justified or vindicated by all of her children, by those who will listen to what is being said, the truth of the matter. And so Jesus, therefore, was teaching that those who followed his words and John's words could be described as children of wisdom. I think that's the point or the emphasis he's trying to get across to this audience. And what a powerful thought this is, because the Pharisees, they had the mindset that we already we're following God's word. We are his people. We have Abraham for our father. And yet Jesus is trying to get to them. See, no, you've rejected both John and now you're rejecting my ministry. And you're like these children in the marketplace that are never truly satisfied, never truly content, and you're rejecting the very wisdom of God. You're rejecting the very way of God. And what makes this even more powerful, when you look at verse 29, of those who would listen to John the Baptist and those that would be listening to Jesus, these were the tax collectors. The very ones that would be put down and belittled and, and thought of as no, no big deal at all. And these are the very ones that are doing the very will of God. And so even though many rejected their words, wisdom would be vindicated or justified by all her children. I think that's what he's trying to get across in this text. So when you look at this, this argument that Jesus is making, it's a really powerful argument because he's really trying to get his audience to see, you're not following God. You think you may be, but you're not truly following God. You've rejected his prophet, and you're also now rejecting me. And I think there's some powerful thoughts of consideration as we think about application for us in our lives. What does all of this mean for us? What can we learn from this story? It's an interesting story. And at times it may be a little bit challenging to try to figure out exactly what Jesus is trying to get across. But what can we learn from this story? Let me give you four thoughts of what we need to think about as we consider this story. Number one, I would suggest that as people and as God's people that we're not foolish that we listen to God's word, that we listen to what it is that God wants us to do. The Pharisees, they allow their tradition so often, more than not, to get in the way of doing the truth, to get in the way of doing what it was that God wanted them to do. And the same happens when we allow family or feelings to interfere with the truth. We need to listen to God's word. John the Baptist was preaching the word of God. Jesus was preaching the word of God. And yet people would reject the very words of God. We need to listen and trust what God has to say. I think a second thing we can take away from this story is this, and it's a powerful point for us to consider, that there are going to be some people who are never going to be satisfied with Jesus. Have you thought about that? There are people here, they weren't satisfied with John the Baptist. There are people who were not satisfied with Jesus. They rejected both of their ministries, both in the manner in which they came. And when you think about our society, there are a lot of people today that are not going to be satisfied with Jesus. Maybe they're satisfied when they start hearing things about salvation and deliverance from sin and redemption in Jesus Christ, but then a lot of people are not satisfied when they start hearing things like repentance and faithfulness and submitting to God. There are a lot of people today who are just not satisfied with what Jesus says, and what he can provide for all men. But let me be clear about this. Even though people are going to reject Jesus, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they did not do God's purpose when it came to the baptism of John. That didn't mean that John and his message were wrong. He was still right. And the same is true for us. Even though there are going to be some who will reject the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus are still right. They always are right. The third thing I think we could take away from this is that God sets the rules in everything that we do. Whether it's an individual or as a collectivity, we don't get to make the rules. The Pharisees and the lawyers, they were rejecting what it was that God wanted them to to follow. And Jesus said, listen, you need to be listening to what I'm saying. You need to be listening to what this great prophet, John the Baptist, has been saying. They didn't get to make the rules. God is the one who makes the rules and our job our responsibility is to simply follow Jesus. People sometimes may want to follow Jesus on their terms. But my friends, that is not that's not going to work. And we need to be satisfied with what he has given us. We need to be satisfied with the message, the word that God has given us through his son. And so we need to make sure that we listen to God and that he is the one that sets the standard. He's the one that sets the rules in our lives. And finally, I think we need to be content and truly appreciate what it is that Jesus has brought to us. Jesus has given us exactly what we need. He's given us salvation. And we need to rejoice that we are a part of his kingdom. We are a part of something great. We are a part of something special. And we need to truly rejoice that we have been redeemed from our sins. The Messiah was right in their midst and they still rejected him. This great prophet was in their their midst and they still rejected him. They rejected these great blessings that Jesus came to give and that he would die for so that we could be saved and delivered and enjoy eternal life with him. We need to rejoice in the fact of what Jesus has done. He came to set us free. He came to deliver us from sin. And one of the saddest things to think about is that generation in the first century where they had John the Baptist, And they had Jesus, and they rejected both of them. But you know what else is sad? This generation. Because we have the words of John the Baptist. We have the words of Jesus. And what are so many people still doing? They are rejecting the wisdom of God, the one sent by the Father, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that, my friend, is a sad thing. that so many people today are like these children in the marketplace. They're just not really satisfied, never content, not will, truly willing to listen to what it is that Jesus wants them to do. We live in a generation that is lost, a generation that is confused. People call things that are wrong, right. People call things that are right, wrong. We live in a generation that is unsatisfied. We live in a generation where people are trying to find answers in blogs and podcasts and books. And they're not going to the source, Jesus. We live in a world where people are trying to find purpose, and yet they're rejecting the very one that can give them everything that they truly need, and that's Jesus Christ. Sadly, many are not turning to the very one who has all the answers. And the answer to our biggest problem, sin, and what he can do for us, washing away our sins, Jesus is the solution. He is the answer, and he is the one that we need. And yet, sadly, just like, that first, just like that generation in the first century, many people today are like children in the marketplace, never satisfied with what Jesus has to say, never content with what the Word of God has to say, and they're going to miss out on all the great blessings that Jesus came to give. And so the question for us is, Are we going to be like children in the marketplace, rejecting God's wisdom, rejecting God's will, rejecting God's purpose? Or are we going to be children of wisdom where we submit and truly listen to what God wants us to do? I hope and pray that all of us have this mindset that we're going to be children of wisdom and that we will fully accept everything that Jesus has done. If you have not put on Christ in baptism, we want to urge you. We want to encourage you. We want to beg you to become a child of God. If you understand that you're a sinner, that you are lost, you are outside of Jesus Christ, that you are to die today, that you're going to be separated from God eternally, you need to be in Jesus Christ. You need to receive his amazing grace, this free gift of salvation. And you can do that if you're willing to submit to him, if you're willing to listen to him, believe that he is the son of God, that he was risen from the dead, and be willing to Put him on in baptism. Be willing to turn away from your sins. That's what Jesus has offered us, forgiveness of sins, justification, eternal life. If that's what you are in need of, we want to encourage you at this time. And if that is what you already have, rejoice and be thankful because you really have it all. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.